Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favorite books. And today we'd like to introduce a special guest, official friend of the pod, real life ray of sunshine, and all around awesome fandom nerd, Bethany Actually. Hello. Yay. Hello, Bethany. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's nice to see both of your faces. (laughs) Thanks for being our number one emailer. I love your emails so much. They make my day. Well, I'm glad you like them because they're full of random things. They're a delight. <laughs> it's the best kind of email. Um, I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tafanganuiatara, where I'm recording today. I respectfully acknowledge that I'm recording today on unceded indigenous land, including the traditional homelands of the Susquehannock, the Seneca and the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Lenni Lenape and Shawnee Nations, and that the connections of indigenous peoples to this land continues today. That is an amazing acknowledgement of country. That's awesome. <laughs> I stole it. I stole it from Gettysburg College's website. <laughs> I stole mine from the Hornsby Shire website. And it always makes me really sad that like the one I use isn't technically correct because it's kind of like the white colonialist 30 years after the eradication of the actual people who lived mm, here decided. Yeah. But it's the best we've got for my area. Well, the first tribe that I said, the Susquehannock, they actually were killed out in the 18th century. Mm. They either died of a disease or were absorbed into other tribes or were killed off in raids. So the Susquehannock don't even exist oh. anymore. Ugh, depressing. I mean, probably there are descendants of the Susquehannock, you know, but not n- no official nation. That Where I live, that's actually the main tribe that was here, and they, they're not even around anymore. We're doing a lot of American history in the girls' school right now. Just both kids happen to be doing a unit on American history, and Annalie in particular is because re- she's a senior in high school. She's reading a lot of the indigenous history of the United States and you know mm. colonial settlers, and it's it's been really interesting. Some of the stuff that she's been reading. I love that. I love that you get the opportunity to like learn it again. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. And I'm learning things that I definitely didn't learn when I was in high school because, as you know, I mean, and you're younger than I am. Things were completely different 20, 30 years ago. The way that they taught things. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the last time took history class I was in uni it's very (laughs) different it was still more intense than anything I had in high school which was very much like and we had a world war and we had another world war and we were victorious the end and we ended slavery in 1865 and it's never been a problem since (laughs) everyone's happy we're all colorblind ah Mm. Well, um, I know Bethany from ages ago. Didn't we become friends when fangirl was the inaugural book for the tumblr reblog book club? Yes Yes, that's right. So it's almost exactly eight years because Fangirl came out eight years ago. And I knew you from Cell because she's also in the Stargate fandom. And then it turns out that we had a mutual, mutual friend. So our friend Chris Jen Mm -hmm. knows someone called Lauren who happens to be one of Bethany's best friends. Oh, small world. Such a small (laughs) world. So I feel like Bethany's another one of those friends of mine who was like, you're just going to meet this person and the universe will continue tightening the net. I had about four, I feel like I had about four different connections to you before I ever even met you. And they were pretty close connections too. Like they were like, I know this person who knows you and I know this person who knows you. And it was very weird. And then when you came to visit, it was like we'd been friends forever already. Totally. And then you let Annalie fall asleep on your couch underneath one of your quilts. And now you've been her one of her favorite people ever since. (laughs) I love Annalie. That makes me very happy. I was so sad to miss her birthday last year. I was like, come on. Uh, Well, did either of you ladies have a moment of wonder this week? 
Yeah, so mine is that I got vaccinated. Whoop, whoop, got my Yay. first shot. Um, it actually happened last week, but because a day in lockdown is approximately 6,000 years, I kind of forgot about it. So I wanted to acknowledge it because modern medicine is amazing and people should get vaccinated immediately. Please and thank you. That's awesome. Which, did you get a one-dose shot or...? Yes, I got my first Pfizer. 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 (laughs) I'll get my second one on the 13th of September. But yeah, awesome. We only have two options here in Australia. Is it the same in New Zealand? Do you guys only have Pfizer and AstraZeneca? We've only got Pfizer at the moment. Oh, you've only got Pfizer. Okay. Okay. So we have two, but only two. I think you guys in the US have a lot more, don't you? Uh, There's only three as far as I know. Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. They don't have the AstraZeneca. (laughs) No, yeah, we don't have AstraZeneca here. I don't know why. Uh, maybe just because the first they had already purchased, you know, they probably had purchased Moderna and mm. Pfizer at the beginning, and Johnson and Johnson is an American company, and that's the one shot one, hey? Yeah. Yes, it is. I heard it's brutal, but it's good, like because it's one and done. I don't know too many people who got it. I do know a couple people who got it, and I don't think they had terrible side effects. But I know that the, I know that now um, they're trying to reserve that one more for populations that are homeless or mm. people who it would be harder to get to them a second time for a second shot, or they might not be yeah. have mm. the ability to get somewhere for a second shot on a specific date. Yeah, uh, Troy and I had Moderna because Moderna is the one that the military bought, and we got ours through the military because my husband is military. But Annalie, actually, we just went out in town, went to a drugstore in town and did went to a pharmacy and she got Pfizer cool nice I think I got lucky with Annalise because I just I remembered like the day that they were opening shots up to people her age I went very early in the morning and just there was like two shots left in our town like Uh. in our area and I just got one of them so I think I just got lucky um so what about you Bethany do you have a moment of wonder I do this is actually something that's happened over the past few weeks as you know everything is crazy in the world right now with Delta happening and COVID numbers rising everywhere. And so a lot of people in the U.S. right now are struggling with what to do for their kids going back to school Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of controversy over whether kids should all wear have to wear masks, whether there should be rules or not. And in places where things are a little more up in the air, I have some friends who are kind of got to the point where they were like, the decision hasn't been made and I would just be more comfortable keeping my kids home. So we're going to try homeschooling this year. So I've had three friends in the last couple of weeks message me and say, hey, is it okay? if I ask you some questions about homeschooling and mm-hmm. and every time of course I said absolutely of course what do you want to know and I answered all the questions I could and gave them as much information as I had and after the first or second one um, I was talking to Troy to my husband about it it was really weird realizing that I am the homeschooling expert now because I've been homeschooling I've been homeschooling my kids my older daughter since she was in kindergarten which was 12 years ago this is my 13th mm. year homeschooling and mm. it was really weird to realize that I'm a homeschool veteran now because I'm so used to thinking of myself as we're just kind of doing this thing I don't really know what I'm doing we're just gonna see what works <laughs> it was just it was really cool to realize like oh I, I know I actually kind of know what I'm doing and I actually have things that I can tell other people that will help them so that was nice just to realize that okay I'm, I'm doing okay yeah <laughs> You're always my favorite homeschooling example because you actually have such a great practical reason for it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I get in with the like <laughs> alternative schooling is not the devil. I, I will say I'm probably one of the biggest supporters of public school who has never sent her children to public school. I think public schools are awesome. I love them. I wish they got better support from everybody. But for us, it just has never been something that we've done. Yeah, hard same. I love our public school system. And there's no way that either of my kids would have worked out in the ones near us. Like they're yeah. great schools and they're just not for my kids for various reasons. <laughs> but I'm yeah. always like, no, the schools are great. The schools are great in the area. They're great. They're great. Just not for us. Well, my moment of wonder is pretty mundane. My mother-in-law brought over a tray of strawberries because they're all like Mm -hmm. no one's buying them because no one's going out to the shops. 
and um, so I made strawberry cake and it was delicious. Mm, amazing. I just loved getting this delivery on my front porch of like 20 punnets of strawberries and then being like, oh I'm just going to make a strawberry cake. Was it like with bits of strawberry in it or was it just like a pink cake that was strawberry flavored? It's the Smitten Kitchen strawberry sheet cake. So like it's okay. like a cake with all the strawberries on top and I always squish oh, them okay. right in. Um, okay. Like I cut them up and squish them right in so they get really jammy and they like go into the batter as well. I basically never make cakes like that because Eliora does not like fruit in baked things. Which I actually understand because I didn't like it when I was a kid either. I grew to appreciate it The texture, it later right? Yeah, it's the texture thing. Yeah. yeah. I have one kid who likes fruit and one who just is like, mm, I'd rather have a vegetable. Weird. <laughs> no, my son is a fruit-based life form. He's mostly mandarin-based, actually. I, I love say. fruit as well. Like, in winter, I eat my body weight in mandarins. They're the best. So easy to peel. Just delightful. I do have a friend who's, like, highly allergic to citrus, though, so then you know, even the smell of it can set her off. So I have to be very careful about the mandarin situation. That's so sad. I'm so sad for your friend. I have a friend who's allergic to, well, lemon. She's allergic to lemon. Which makes buying processed foods really fun because citric acid is used as a preservative in basically everything. Mm. Everything, yeah. Um, Bethany, after you got me into Ted Lasso, I bullied Jed into watching it as well. So Excellent, excellent. Are you guys caught up? I've seen up to the fifth episode of the second season. I haven't okay. seen the most recent one. I'm up to the Christmas episode, which was amazing. Oh, so here's a cool thing that I learned the other day. Somebody told me the dentist that they, that they saw, the mm. actress who played her, is the real-life mother of the actor who plays the Ussie kid. Oh! So the kid that was at the house, that was actually his mom who was playing the dentist. <laughs> That's Amazing. great. That's like how Jeremy Swift's real life wife is playing Mrs. Higgins. Mm -hmm. All right. We should get back to the pod. This is so fun, though. I just love chatting mm -hmm. about stuff. All right. So this week we read chapters 29 through 32 through the theme of attraction. And I'm going to hit Bethany up for a story this week because this is one of my all-time favorite. It's not even really a beat cute. It's just like a dawning realization of like, oh, yeah. But could you tell us the story of how you and Troy met? Sure. I just realized that I have to tell this story. I kind of forgot that I was going to be telling it. Um... Yeah, so Troy and I met uh, when we were at university. We both were resident assistants in one of the residence halls where we went to school, which coincidentally was the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So we were, both, we were both resident assistants, and we were coworkers, and we were friendly. You know, we were friendly coworkers. We had become better friends over the course of the year because we happened to have the same schedule. We had different people were scheduled together to do rounds of the floors and stuff. And um, we happened to be on the same schedule both semesters just because it worked out with our classes and everything. And so we did get to know each other quite well. And um, we kind of started hanging out more in the second semester. And one day I was walking down the hall towards his room. He had a room at the end of a hallway, and his door was open, and I was walking down the hall and I looked in the room and I we had been getting to be good friends and a couple been hanging out a lot and a couple people had kind of asked us like are you guys dating or what and we were like no of course we're not dating we're just good friends and I was walking down the hall towards his room and I looked in and I saw him sitting on the couch and I just was like oh my god I really like him wow I think I want to be more than friends with him and I just it I had honestly did not know that until that moment. I don't even know why. I have no idea what it was in that moment. So I went into his room and I said, hey, I got to talk to you about something. I feel like maybe everybody asking us if we're dating, maybe that should be a sign and we should like try. Maybe we'll regret it if we don't. And he went, oh, I'm really glad you said something because I've been kind of thinking the same thing. So we were Aww. like, all right, I guess we're dating. And it was literally maybe two weeks later that we were like, I guess we're getting married now. <laughs> so oh my gosh. We did it. We did not immediately get married. <laughs> it was like about a year later that we got married. We started dating and knew really within two or three weeks that that was it, that we were going to be getting married and building a life. So we did. 
Oh, I love that. And that was 26 years ago, something like that now. Hmm. Amazing. Maybe there's something at the University of Nebraska that we should all be tapping into. (laughs) Maybe. I love that story so much. And like, I love it because you and Troy were such good friends first. And that was like the whole foundation. Mm. I love that. And I like Troy. He's one of my favorite (laughs) friend-in-laws. He's pretty great. Agreed. Um, Jen, would you like to read our chapter summaries? Sure thing. So, Kath's dad arrives to help Ren get home, and Kath finds Levi has been waiting in the hospital for her and Ren. The Averys go home to Omaha, and their dad sets some rules around Ren if she wants to keep going to school in Lincoln. Kath and Ren come back to reckoning of their own, and they're back, baby. Levi finally gets to entertain Kather on his antique couch, and she decides to stay the night. Okay, so loads happens. Loads. His beautiful antique couch. I'm sorry, I just have to interject that. It's his beautiful antique couch. <laughs> it is a beautiful antique couch. Okay, I have a question for you. Were, are these houses real? Like, is Levi's house a real house? Do you know people who had these kind of share houses? I don't know if the specific house that she wrote Levi living in is a real house, but there definitely were tons of those kinds of houses in Lincoln, yes. Okay. They're like turn of the century, like 1900 built, big old Victorian houses, or you know maybe a little bit post-Victorian houses that got divided up into tiny apartments for students, yeah. In fact, when I was going to school there in the early 90s, a lot of the streets in Lincoln and that part of Lincoln, they're alphabet names, so they're A, B, C, D, whatever. And um, on T Street near campus, everybody called it T-Town. And that was like where a lot of the student houses were. I, I mean, they're all over Lincoln. It's not just in that part of Lincoln either. They're all over the place. But that's where all the kids live, yeah. Yeah, where like the, the upperclassmen live, yeah. I love this. Specifically, I'm excited to get you on for all your Nebraska knowledge because <laughs> I've never been there. Ask it me makes anything. me want to go. <laughs> One time, another Jen friend, another Jennifer friend. <laughs> Canada um, Jen? Who, yes, this is Canada Jen. She came to visit me in Omaha one time when I was there visiting family and we did a whole Rainbow Rowell book tour of Omaha and Lincoln. <laughs> it was really fun. Cute. I love it. And look, I want to see Bethany's mom again. She's so lovely. She's she's a Levi person. She's like a human campfire also. She said to tell you hello, by the way, when I told her I was going to be talking Hi, to you. Hi, Grandma Debbie. <laughs> I miss you. <laughs> oh, oh, we should talk about attraction because I think there's so much in this section that deals with how Kath feels about Levi. And like, I know that we're taking the text as sacred, but I also know in my heart of hearts that Levi's entire face is based off of Tom Felton, who I've never found particularly attractive, <laughs> but like the way that Kath loves Levi's face makes me, it like gets me there. You know what I mean? Like it gets me to that place where I see him as being adorable and beautiful in the same way. It's just that thing like when you like someone so much, everything about them becomes attractive. Like before you knew them, maybe you wouldn't have thought that they were mm. like, good looking or whatever but the more time you spend with them the more attractive they become and I feel like that's really what's happening with yeah. Levi right I also love that in all of Kath's earlier iterations of like his mouth is too small to eat apples properly like she's annoyed with all these things she keeps noticing well that was when she thought he was Regan's boyfriend yeah true she but she still liked him but she had to convince herself she didn't yeah she didn't want to be that person she didn't want to feel anything right it's way too scary to like love someone or like someone and have to put yourself out there no thank you i just like to point out that regan was right because on page 401 <laughs> levi says i would have shaved if i knew i was gonna see you tonight so regan yet again knows everything regan's the best she's very communicative <laughs> she's very open she's very accepting but she's also like she doesn't sugarcoat anything mm-hmm I also love that Levi is just like, I just want to touch you. I think that's such a nice and pure way of saying it. Like, he's not, like, being gross about it. But he's yeah. saying, I want to sit next to you even when there's no other options. Like, I want to 
spend this time with you. Like, he's really clear about it, but he's also really careful with Kath, and I think that that makes him even more attractive. Yeah, he just really wants to understand, right? He wants to understand what the block is for her, what would make her comfortable. He doesn't want to push her, he just wants to understand, and I think that is deeply attractive. Oh my gosh, yes. A person who's patient with you and waits and, like, does it on your timeline? <laughs> Sign me up. I want ten. <laughs> ten Levi's would be a lot. <laughs> can we talk about the fact that he turns up at the hospital and he just waits and he just sits there and he just waits like what mvp amazing and like he's not a reader so he's not busy doing so like i would go crazy waiting for someone like that i would just absolutely be out of my mind well but hondro was there so he was he was helping hondro by hanging out with him probably and That's if you true. give levi a person to take care of he's happy yeah, I love that he showed up, and I love mm. that he also immediately gave the coffee to Kath's dad. Like, here, take this. You need this. Just these little lovely gestures. And even Art later picks up on that and says, Kath's doing fine for herself. She has a very polite boyfriend. <laughs> Which I thought was really beautiful. Those nice Midwestern manners. Is that what it is? Is he? Is that the beautiful Midwestern manners? Is that a thing? Yeah. It's And actually, I was thinking as you were saying that he just showed up at the hospital, I was like, that's just what you do. Like, I was born and raised in Omaha, so I'm a Nebraska girl, even though I haven't lived there for a really long time. And that's just like, if somebody you know is in the hospital, you just go and like spend time with them if you can. Like, if somebody is in the hospital and they need help and they need a person to be with them, you just, you go and do it if you can. It's just what you do. This is really good because this gives a lot more insight into why Laura leaving is such a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't leave someone in the hospital not if you can help it yeah 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 okay it might actually even also be more of a a small town nebraska thing like it might be Mm. more strongly a rural nebraska thing not so much a city thing but i'm thinking my dad who is a nebraskan native nebraskan has been his entire life he is very much like the minute he finds out someone is in the hospital he's immediately like well are we going to go visit him when are visiting hours can we go see him he just like it's just what you do so i've always thought of it as a very nebraska thing because my dad does it i think and my it's Mm. not something my mom does go and visit people in the hospital but it's not as immediate for her and she was born and raised in California and moved to Nebraska when she married my dad so she doesn't have quite the deeply ingrained midwestern stuff that my dad does my dad is very big on like well this is just what you do so you do it Mm -hmm. like it's not something you just if it's a thing that you do then you just do it you know somebody is stranded you stop and help them somebody needs food you go get food and give it to them somebody you know he's he's a very like like this is what I can do to help this is what I'll do he's very practical so wholesome all right, you guys talk about attraction because all I can think about is Kath's highlights reel and it makes me laugh, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's great. I just wanted to draw this comparison, which I absolutely loved, when Kath was reading the fan fiction. And again, you know, I just love how Levi uses fan fiction as a way to just, like, soothe her. It's so wholesome and I love it. But on page 399, there's that parallel where, you know, it says Levi laughed and Kath felt it on her neck and then she reads Baz laughed and Simon felt it on his eyelashes and I just mm. lived for that. I lived for it. It's so good. I love the way that, the, yeah, you're right. The fic echoes life and life echoes the fic too. It's like Kath's writing her, what's that? Is it the Cory Doctorow, E.L. Doctorow quote where writing is like driving at night. You only see the little bit of road ahead of you as you're going forward. She's kind of doing that with her life though, like in her romance. And it's just coming out in parallels now that you're getting to see what she's learning. And she realizes that, right? Because then she says, I don't want to it feels like it's happening to someone else and she doesn't Mm. want that she wants to be present when she's with Levi and that's like a real turning point I think for her to push through her fear her fear of stopping not knowing how to stop which I think is really sweet and just yeah I I remember thinking that when I read it just this last time I remember thinking like whoa that's that's a big moment for Kath to consciously think 
no, I don't want to be looking at this in a mirror. I don't want to be on the outside looking at myself doing this. I want to be in the moment. I thought that was a that was a big deal for her too. And she still was kind of outside of it with the running commentary, but she wasn't mm. stopping because of it. She wasn't like letting it get to her. She was just accepting that she had Danny Zuko and the T-Birds in her head and then <laughs> continuing on. I think that's just who she is though, because she's a writer. She'll always have the the dialogue in her head or the you know the commentary in her head um i also just want to give a shout out to the line she wanted to make an honest woman of his chin which is hilarious that's a very rainbow line <laughs> she wanted to lock it down but i don't think levi is going to be sad about any of it i don't think he's going to actually say and then she kissed my receding hairline and cried he seems pretty gone on kath he doesn't really seem to mind anything she does and there is something in there about, you know, there's not one perfect person in the world, right? We're all attracted to different things and people mm. are attracted to different things of different people. And even the same person might not be attractive to someone for the same reasons. And I think that's amazing. We need to acknowledge that more. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea that there's not this universal gorgeousness. There isn't one standard. And we shouldn't look for that because it's not real. Beauty is an accident of genetics and youth most of the time anyway. And so And privilege, absolutely. Yeah. We might find things attractive, but like, I think there's something to that self-assessment of, do I actually find this attractive or have I been socialized to think that this is attractive? And I think it's also a difference between going, oh, that person is objectively beautiful and being attracted to someone. Yeah, the aesthetic beauty versus like what actually is attractive about people. And we've talked about this, Jen, about not liking the small talk, getting to know people. And how, like, once you're best friends with someone, everything is fine. But, like, that mm. getting to know is the worst. And I think that that's part of it, right? Because then you're only able to judge on attractiveness. Yeah, well, that's why I hate dating apps. Because it's, by nature, superficial. So if you're just looking at... You're, in your head, I'm always going, don't look at the photos. Don't be obsessed with the photos. But that's all you see. Mm. And then you get, like, one blurb about someone. There's no way to actually get to know someone. And I cannot go through the small talk bit. So the whole thing is just a waste of time. <laughs> Maybe we do need banter. Um, I also just wanted to talk about that conversation that Ren and Kath have about love and being in love. Kath tries to kind of cut Ren off when she insinuates she's in love with Levi. You know, Ren says, I've seen the way you look at Levi. I just think that's lovely. I think it's nice that they have that back so that they can have that conversation because I think Kath needs that. Needs someone outside of herself to say like, hey, this is what I see. Someone who knows her really well. I liked your point, Jen, that they are magnets who can't unclick yeah, I thought it was more like an emotional thing, right? Like they attracted to each other, they form a whole. So that was just a different way to look at attraction rather than the traditional sense. Because like when they're together, they just are, they feel more like themselves, right? So they're trying to fight yeah. against it. Ren's trying to fight against it. But then I think Kath is so quick to forgive her and so quick to like just park her emotions when it matters. And it just shows how close they are and how quickly they slide back together. Yeah. Attraction is definitely part of all relationships too. I mean, friendships especially. Because... I know a lot of really lovely, perfectly kind-hearted, fun people that I have no interest <laughs> in being friends with. I like them and I'm happy to talk to them if I happen to be in their vicinity, if I know them through my husband's work or whatever, but I don't want to call them up and ask yeah. them out to coffee, mm -hmm. you know? Like there's definitely an element of attraction in every relationship. And it's not, like you said, it's not romantic attraction necessarily or, you know, anything like that. But there has to be chemistry with mm. people even that you are just friends with, you know, or even people yeah. that you work with. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point. Like there yeah. are some, I work with some very amazing, perfectly nice people and then I can't really spend any time with them. And then I work with other people who you're just like inseparable with. And there's no real reason for that differentiation. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's chemistry, you're right. Sometimes you click, sometimes you don't. Um, I also wanted to talk about Ren and Kandro. Ah, oh, yes. 
Hundro. I love that he also came to the hospital. I don't know how he found out where she was, but maybe Courtney told him or something. I mean, Ren could have texted him, I guess, right? Oh, that's true. I just assumed she was so out of it. Mm. I thought it was interesting that she was kind of worried that he would break up with her because of this whole situation. And then she says, you know, he hates when I get drunk. He says it's unbecoming, which I don't love because that's a little bit controlling, but he still lets her do it, I suppose. So is that okay? <laughs> They're also like, you know, 19 year old kids. Oh, that's <laughs> so. true. 19 year old midwesterners <laughs> this does not seem like he's going don't do this because it's not ladylike he's like well how can i tell this person that i really care about that they're on this crash course to hurting themselves without making mm. it about an intervention because we already know that ren is resistant to being told that she's out of control mm. and also if he's from a community where like he's very careful with his appearance so i think he's going right what are my values oh i'll say to her that it's not very becoming so he's trying to find a gentle way this was my read on it um, but yeah so i think that was hondra's trying to kind of pull ren back from it i do think that hondra isn't saying that because it's actually unbecoming i don't know how to explain it i just think he's like trying all of the angles that he can without yeah making mm. it a big thing like he's trying to say when you get drunk you act in ways that don't feel like who you really are to me and it, I, yeah. I don't like who you are mm. when you're that way he's trying to say that to her and maybe he doesn't have the tools to phrase it in mm. a way that isn't yeah, yeah doesn't yeah. sound yeah. a little sexist <laughs> you know? that makes sense yeah because he's worried for her safety right and he wants to look out for her so this is just how he can do it he definitely showed up for her by coming to the hospital. So. Yes, he did. And there's no disgust, right? Like, there's no disgust. And I think that when you say to someone that's unbecoming, you should be feeling disgust. So I don't feel like he's looking at her like, this is disgusting. How could you? He's like, she's the lady mm. of the lake. Agreed. Have we convinced you? Have we, have we talked yeah, to Rand? Yeah, like, I actually, <laughs> I really like him. I don't think, you know, I didn't think that he was bad for Rand or anything like that or that he was problematic. I just, that one line, I was just a bit like, oh, that would get my back up. So if I was Rand. I would be like, excuse me. I would probably not like to hear that either. Because then I would feel exactly like Ren does, which is like, let me do what I want. Yes, but you can't be trusted to do what you want, Ren. No, she really can't. I like that Levi flagged at the end of their epic fakeout that he was falling in love with her. I like that mm. he didn't say it. I like that he didn't say, I'm in love with you. But he said, you know I'm falling in love with you, right? Which is like the gentlest way of saying, like, this is getting deeper and deeper for me. Yeah, and I kind of love because there was a little bit before that that he sort of, you know, he says, I really like you even more than that. And she just skates over it. So then he says it again. Mm. And I just, I love that he wanted to make sure that she got the message that she couldn't just pretend that she didn't. He's so good. I'm just mad that, like, we can't just give this to young men as, like, a primer. Like, be like this. <laughs> well, maybe don't do the part where you're making out with another girl at the party that you invited her to. But... Did we forgive him for that, Jen? Yeah, well, I've always forgiven him for that. You were a bit more judgy, but I was like, eh, yeah, I don't think he really did anything I'm wrong. I'm more like Kath, though. Like, the kiss is a serious thing. Yeah, I mean, like, I, she's I understand why she's upset. I just... I can also see why he did what he did, basically. 18-year-old me would have been livid. 37-year-old yeah. me is like, eh. I don't think I've ever held that against him. But I have a completely different relationship with these characters than a lot of people do. I don't know if Jen, if you have Gen D, if you have mentioned this to Gen V at mm. all, about how I actually know Rainbow and I'm a friend. And this book actually is the book that she was sending me pieces of it as she was writing. So I was reading, like, from the beginning, I was reading about these characters. So I have a completely different relationship with all of the characters in this story. Like, I remember other versions of the story. Like, there are scenes that didn't make it into the final book because she had to rewrite them yeah. for whatever reason and I still mm. remember them fondly you know like I feel like these are like they're like my nieces and nephews or something you know yeah I like that you have a more like a more comprehensive relationship with this text and that it's not just the text
books that we have because I think we get to come at it from this perspective of like here's our published book that we have read and yeah. loved but you're like oh but I have the insider info on so many things yeah like super in-depth it's great <laughs> well it's fine I haven't read the book in a long time when you said you guys were going to do this for the podcast and uh, reading it again after a few years it had been probably at least probably at least four or five years since I had read the entire book it was really nice to read it again. I was like, oh, I forgot how much I really love this story. And it was really funny to read Simon and Baz and Penny from the perspective of having now read three entire books about them, you know, completely different. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I haven't read the last one because I'm waiting until we're done with Fangirl. I want to have like a pure carry-on trilogy space. Uh-huh. But Jen has uh-huh. been emotionally compromised for months now. Yeah. I didn't realize there were three of them. So I had read Carry On when it first came out. Then I saw an ad for Anyway the Wind Blows. I'm like, oh, there's more of these. So I bought Wayward Son on my Kindle and read it in a day and basically had an entire breakdown. <laughs> then I had to wait a week to get Anyway the Wind Blows. So I decided to read Carry On again and Wayward Son again. And then Anyway the Wind Blows. Oh, and now I have read Anyway the Wind Blows four times since it's come out. Oh my goodness. I am not okay. I'm not okay. I need to go to therapy. I get that. I just love them all so much. Like, I don't remember the last time I cared about characters like I care about these characters. Like, yeah, it takes over my whole life. It's very problematic. Um, Should we talk about identity a bit? Sure. Yeah, I want to talk about Art's identity as a father and how he just goes full on Hulk dad in this section. We have, Bethany, in this podcast, in this season, we have instituted the Art Avery Award for Awesome Parenting. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I think that even though he's a realistic and flawed person, he basically just kicks butt all of the time. And he's a great dad, even though he's like dealing with a lot. So yeah, I am fully on board for that. That's I love art. Do you know who Rainbow's face cast was for art when she was writing? No, who is it? Tell me. Tell me. Mark, Mark Ruffalo. <gasps> now you can Sweet. now you can read all of the art lines and hear Mark Ruffalo saying them. <laughs> The canary in the goddamn coal mine one is one I'm always like, oh, Mark Ruffalo would kill that line. He really would. I just love that Art can't get on a plane, so he hires a car and drives, what, eight hours to get back to them. And then the first thing he sees is the both of them in a hospital bed together, and he just, like, leans over and kisses both their foreheads, and, like, Cap just gives him a big hug. The whole thing is just so lovely. And he kind of just holds it all together till he gets home, until he's convinced that Ren's okay, and then he just lets rip for the first time ever, basically. Mm, mm-hmm. But I love that Kath picked up that it was going to happen because she's like, "This, where's that line? Where she says he's yelled before, we've seen him angry before, but never at us, never about us. Oh, it's when they're in the car and he's getting the fish fillet things from McDonald's and oh, Ren's yeah, complaining yeah, about yeah. the smell and he's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have drunk yourself into a bilious stupor, their dad said. And that's when Kath realized that he wasn't going to pretend that nothing was wrong, that he wasn't just yeah, going to let one. Ren go about her business. Kath really wants to take care of the people in her life. That's super fundamental to her personality and to her like, goals and values. It's been really hard for her, so I love that she's like, finally, someone's on my team. Yeah, and I thought it was so telling that on page 373, Art says, you know, I'm not letting this happen to you. I'm not taking a call like that again. And you're both parents, so I cannot imagine, you know, you get that call to say that your kid's in the hospital. And I wonder if it was worse because it was Laura that called it as well. Yeah, I wouldn't love that. So my son's school, they call every time they, like, bump their head or whatever. Sometimes they just call to answer a question about meds or ask if, like, oh, is he getting picked up early today or whatever. But every time that they call, I just want to let you know he's fine. That's the first thing they say because they know Ah. that most of the parents, especially in my son's school, most of the parents there are going to immediately be like, oh, the worst thing has happened. You definitely do get scared of the, like, mystery phone calls when your kids are out in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love that Art just immediately draws the Mm. line and is like, no, I'm not doing that again. This, like whatever it takes we're gonna prevent that from happening 
I mean, I haven't even really ever experienced that very much because we've always homeschooled our kids. Mm. So my kids are usually with me. It's pretty rare that they're not with me. But having been on the other end of that call, because I used to work in after school care programs and I was a tutor for a while. And But I, I have been the person on the phone who has been saying, I'm calling about Melissa, she's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> you know, like you just, you always start with that. You always start with nothing has happened. Nothing bad has happened. We're calling about this other thing. It's so scary. I, sometimes I think lockdown has not been the worst because only one of my kids is out of the house every day and he's in a very safe and managed environment and I have no worries about that. But I just love that my girl is home and I get to have tea breaks with her and mm -hmm. like I'm not cut out to be a teacher, <laughs> but I do love having my kids around me all the time. <laughs> is pretty great on that as well you know when art says don't talk to me about your life you've shown complete disregard for it it just really it's intense like he is not playing around right like this has mm. really fundamentally affected him i did think there was something really interesting about the fact that kath has sort of incorrectly assigned the anger at them the mm. unit because like he's not mad at kath he actually thinks kath's doing fine thank you she even apologizes to him and says, I'm sorry, I, I hid this from you. Mm. And he's like, no, you, you yeah. didn't hide it as well as you think you did. <laughs> I knew. I was thinking to that line where he says, you know, you didn't you didn't hide it as well. And I, I probably should have said something at Christmas, but there was a lot going on. And I was just thinking, as you said, you know, for him thinking about his daughter not having any disregard for her own life. But being, being the parent, I know that you're going to think, mm. yeah. what could I have done better? Why does my kid feel this way? How, how did I mess up that, you know, I didn't teach my child that she needs to take care of herself. So I'm, I'm sure he had to be beating himself up. A lot of the anger that was coming yeah. out at Ren was probably really angry, anger at himself. And she was there and, and I think he wanted to make an impression on her too. He wanted to, because you know, earlier on in the book, they, Kath talks about how easygoing her dad was and he really didn't keep track of them and they mm -hmm. just kind of did their own thing and he trusted that they were fine and you know, maybe he, maybe they should have been parented a little more. So I'm sure right now he's thinking, God, I should have parented them more. I should have put more boundaries in place. I should have. So yeah, that would, mm -hmm. that would mess with your identity as a parent yeah. for sure I kind of wondered that because I think he struck pretty good balance with kids who like they are okay being hands-off like they're okay with that they have each other which is the other major thing like if this if it were just one child and he were that hands-off it would not be the same but because yeah. they have each other they form kind of this nice little inter interdependent triad right so they're like a, a family unit that sorts itself out by relying on each other's strengths and that's always worked yeah, I don't think he's a particularly bad parent. I think he's actually pretty sensitive, but he definitely is having that emotional response of like, crap, I really dropped the ball on this one. And also because you can't protect your kids from everything. And I think there's still a lot of that feeling like he doesn't want to have anything to do with his ex. And I completely agree and also would not want to have anything to do with her. It's interesting, though, because a lot of divorced parents that I know, you know, they specifically go into the divorce saying, okay, we have to be the adults because there are children involved. And I and, and this is a different circumstance because mm. Laura left and wanted nothing to do with them. Yeah. But it's it it's interesting, you know, just thinking of other people I know who are divorced who have children and they may not want to hang out with each other all the time, but they are civil to each other and kind yeah. as much as they can be because of their kids, because they don't want their kids to have terrible examples yeah. or whatever. I think it was really interesting that it was also the mother because you don't really see that in a lot of literature, especially not YA literature. Like dads tend to take off because it's easier, but it's nice to see in literature like a mom who just couldn't do it and left. I mean, I don't applaud this because like being a parent is so much a huge part of my identity and it's something I'm really proud of and work at being better at. But like I get that, you know, if you don't want it, sometimes it's it's hard to stick with it. Yeah, It's very Veronica Mars. 
that mm. line she says to her dad about the, the villain is the one who mm. leaves, the hero is the one who stays. Yeah. You know? I thought it was interesting then when, you know, Ren isn't surprised that Laura didn't stick around and she says to Kath, you know, she's got no interest in being a parent and Kath just can't reconcile that. And Ren's like, whatever, it's just the way she is. Mm. I'm with Kath, I don't get it. My heart does not work that way either. I think I'm with Ren, honestly. I mean, I, I understand why Kath thinks the way she does, feels the way she does about that, but I kind of feel like if a person can't be what you want them to be, why would you try to force it? It doesn't make anybody happy, you know? So, I mean, I, I completely understand and sympathize with Kath, but I think I'm more with Ren. I'm more like, it's not who she's going to be yeah. ever. Why would I want her to, you know? And my perspective is more that, like, I'll, I know I'll always want more, so what's the point in making myself hurt by needing that relationship mm -hmm. that isn't going to fulfill mm -hmm. me, so I might as well not. Mm -hmm. It's a self-protective measure. Well, and good for you for knowing that about yourself, <laughs> honestly. Cause... Yes, it's taken me many hours of therapy <laughs> to get there. Thank you. <laughs> Very good with my well, boundaries now. I'm proud of you. I like that Kath also says, you know, I'm done fighting with Ren about it. Like, she's, okay, this is what Ren's going to do. That's fine. I don't want to be on the outs with her. I'm not going to fight with her. Like, this is not important enough. And I, I love that. I love that she can move on from that and from that hurt. That's another thing I would really struggle with, actually. Like, I don't think I would be as able to let that go. I think I would still carry a lot of hurt from that. It takes me a long time to get over that stuff. So I was amazed that Kath was able to just be like, well, that was too close a call. We're not messing around with this argument anymore. It's just done. If it was one of your sisters, though. Yeah, still. Still? You'd still have a hard time I think saying... because I'm not close to my sisters in the way that Ren and Kath are close. If it were my kids, that would be different, right? That would be where I would feel like, right, it's done. Whatever. You're my kid and I love you. My kids, they can't really hurt my feelings because I love them. Like, they can hurt my feelings, but, like, I still love them. I don't know right. how to explain it. It's really hard for me to put it into words, but, yeah. It doesn't feel like the way that Kath is forgiving her is unhealthy to no, me, though. You I, know what I mean? I think she does. She put it so well. I'm just trying to find that line. Oh page 375 where she says to Ren, you know, it's not like that with you. You're just in with me always, no matter what happens. Mm. I think that's really the tenet of it. It's like there's yeah. too much between them for them to fall at this kind of argumentative level. Yeah. Yeah. They can be angry at each other, but it's not, yeah. she's not going to let it cause a split again. It's kind mm. of what, Kat, it, sounds, it sounds like that's what Kath is saying to me. Like, it's mm. not that Ren will never piss her off again. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's not what she's saying. It's an agree to disagree. But I also think that this has to come from Ren too, because Ren is now vulnerable and trying and upset about how broken things are. She wasn't before that. She wasn't ever budging. And because she hadn't budged, Kath had no room to budge as well. So I think Ren really had to like sort of hit, and I hate saying rock bottom, but she had to get to that place where she was so miserable and vulnerable and upset that she was able to be like, yeah, I'm not happy. I actually wanted to talk about Ren claiming do you think that Ren being back is about her returning to an identity that she tried to subvert because that's how I read it I talked a lot about her being college Barbie in the earlier episodes how she was performing the part of a, a college <laughs> student but it didn't seem genuine and Kath kept alluding to like if you know there was a wormhole Ren would go through it with her because she was a real nerd like Kath was so I, I wonder mm -hmm. the impression I got from the way that Ren was behaving early on Especially if you think about some of the things that Kath says about her sister, about how even though they're identical, Ren was the prettier one and the more popular one and the more outgoing one and she was the one who mm. got all the juice in the womb, you know? She was like the better twin even though they were ostensibly, I yeah. think they're supposed to be identical twins, I'm pretty sure they are. And I, I got the impression that it was maybe a little bit of her trying to have a, a, you know, an idealized college experience and probably just a little bit having to do with identity in the sense that mm. she was trying out a new identity when she first went to college. She was saying, okay, maybe I don't want to be Ren of Kath and Ren. Maybe I don't want to be half yeah. of that pair 
care. I just want to be myself. And this is when I can try. Yeah, so I think she tried it. And maybe part of the reason she was drinking a lot is because it was stressing her out. Levi later mm. says that, you know, it's like she got her arm happy back starfish. or something. Yeah, happy starfish. If Kath is feeling that way, Ren had to be feeling some of that at least. She wasn't yeah. letting Kath see it. She's a different person. She has a different personality than, than Kath does. Nothing can break her unless she lets it. Yeah, but uh, I have to think that she was at least, she was struggling at least somewhat, you know, in missing, she probably was missing Kath, even though she was trying to set, she was conscious, it's kind of like Mm -hmm. toddlers or teenagers separating from their parents in a way. They still really need Mm -hmm. their parents, but they don't want to need their parents, but they still really need their parents. So, you know, it's like they're angry about what they need. And so maybe Ren was channeling some of that anger. I don't know. There's probably a lot of stuff to unpack there with identity of becoming your own adult. Yeah. And... I like that. I think that Kath has the right idea. Like She's like, I'm a proto-adult. I'm not there yet. I live in a mm. dorm room. There's two beds. Like she, she likes that there are these limitations. And I think that that's a great way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like having lived in Australia for 15 years, I think it's nuts that we send our children off to university at 18 in the U.S. And like, that's normal to different states. What? <laughs> Yeah, my 17-year-old definitely doesn't want to go. Like, when we talk about her being 18, she's like, la, la, don't talk to me about that. Yeah, I totally get that. And I just think you grow up at the, the rate that you grow up. I love that Kath is like, no, I'm not there yet. I'm not ready. Don't don't, don't push me there. Whereas yeah. Ren's like, I will do all the things. But I feel like you're, you've hit on something there because it's Ren feels like she should be there. This is where she should be. It's that performative element, right? Because when Art says to her, you're out of control, yeah. and she comes back with, I'm fine, I'm just 18. It's just like this real normalized, yeah, it's fine. Everyone drinks. Everyone does this. There's nothing weird about what I do. This is what I'm supposed to do. And Kath is the weird one for not doing it. I think Ren struggled more than Kath. I mean, I was definitely, I was definitely Kath in college. I did not drink. I did not party. I was not, I was definitely not Ren. So I would have been right there with Kath going, I don't drink. <laughs> like, you know, not everybody's drinking because I'm not drinking. I, I underlined the bit where she was the only person observing the speed limit. And I was like, oh, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I'm always driving the speed limit. <laughs> Bless. What's hilarious about that is that as somebody who is from that part of Nebraska and went to UNL and made that drive between, because I'm also from Omaha, I'm from the other end of Omaha, I'm from North Omaha, as somebody who made that drive between Omaha and Lincoln all the time, that stretch of interstate is everybody speeds on it. The closest I've ever come to getting speeding tickets was twice on that stretch of road. And I'm sure the only thing that stopped me was the fact that, you know, I was a 19 year old blonde girl and the cop was like, all right, fine, slow down. I think now it's actually a a faster speed limit than it was. But when I was in college, the speed limit was 65 and I almost never went slower than 80 on that stretch of road because there's another part this is unrelated to this really but the part where Kath is like where she tells Levi don't call me from the road unless you're on a flat stretch of road and it's really straight and there's no other traffic and I was like oh Kath honey it's Nebraska there's no roads that aren't flat and straight <laughs> they're all it's that called way the planes for a reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> people who drive across Nebraska are like this is so boring <laughs> when will I be in another more interesting state um on Kath, uh, on Ren's identity, rather, I just wanted to bring mm. up this one line when she says to Kath on page 379, add that to the towering stack of important things you're wrong about. Thank you for flagging that. What is she talking about? Yeah, what is Kath wrong about? What is what is going on here? Yeah, I didn't get that either. I was like, what is Ren saying? I've just always read that as like Ren saying, yeah, whatever, like mm. because she and her sister are very different people. They just mm. have different opinions about a lot of things. Like Ren saying, oh, Kath's hiding in her room writing about gay vampires. That's not what I want to do with my college experience, you know, minimizing maybe what Kath is doing. Because even before she was dating Levi, she was doing stuff. She was, you know, meeting with what's his name to write and Nick. I'm sure you guys had fun talking about him. Oh, yeah. We're going to have more fun. He's coming up again. (laughs) That's true. He is. I'd love to hate him. 
Yeah, I just started watching Miracle Workers too, so I have fresh Dan Rad in my head. Thank you. Me too. We've just we've just been watching Miracle Worker season one. So good. Thank you for reminding me because I was trying to remember what else I wanted to stream. So I need to write this down so I don't. It is bonkers <laughs> so far. We've only watched like four or five episodes, and every episode we're just like, "What? <laughs> Let's watch another one." <laughs> oh, great, love it. <laughs> I just said to Troy last night. You know, the really cool thing about it is, even though I know I'm watching Daniel Radcliffe, I have not once looked at the screen and thought, "There's Harry Potter." It is absolutely not Harry Potter at all. That's good. <laughs> he has the ability to completely fall into whatever role he's doing. And I love this because it's so rare. And actors, mm. I feel like Charlize Theron's another one who can do this, where you like believe that she is who she is in whatever role she's playing. That's what makes mm -hmm. Tom Cruise a convincing actor as well, because you kind of forget that he's Tom Cruise when you're watching it. I never forget he is Tom Cruise. He is okay. always Tom Cruise. <laughs> Maybe it's just me then. <laughs> <laughs> He's very generic looking. Well, I'll that's give you the that. thing. I just forget. I'm like generic action man. Let's go. I will give him this. He is good at what he does. I enjoy almost all of his movies and I'm mildly annoyed about it every time <laughs> because he's just Tom Cruise. But like he picks good movies and he's good at them. I'm still mad about Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher is 6'4". Why was he not played by Lee Pace? Oh, everything should be played by Lee Pace. Like This is true. Um... Another identity thing that I saw was Kath's identity as a caretaker, right? Like, she just carries so yeah. much for the whole family. 100%. Yeah. I feel this really keenly for my family, too. And it's a really rough feeling, and it really sucks. But she can't seem to stop herself. Like, when Art turns up at the hospital, she says she checks his eyes out of habit, right? And then as soon as she gets Ren into the shower, she puts on a load of laundry, and she's cleaning up. And she's just always taking care of people. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that she likes Levi so much is because he is also a caretaker yeah. and he takes care of her, you know? He tells her, plug in your phone when you get home. You're mm. incessantly good to me, she says, which I love. Mm -hmm. I love that she acknowledges that and isn't like entirely annoyed by it anymore. <laughs> and I love that that pushes her to try. Like, you know, she's got this block up mm. with intimacy and like with being closer to Levi and she just goes, no, he's so good to me. I owe it to him to try. And I think that's really lovely to recognize that. Yeah. She says it's a a piss poor way to treat him when he's been he's when he's been so honest with her or something yeah yeah page 392 levi looked down at their hands and he looked so confused and disappointed and it was such a piss poor way to treat him dishonestly distantly after he'd put himself out there for her again and again it's like she's talking herself into something she wants to do but she's getting through her own block and i think that's so key because he's not pushing her she's not doing this because she feels she has to it's because she genuinely cares she wants to be a decent person to him and that means that she needs to examine her own behavior and do things maybe differently and i think that is growth right yeah he's really i mean he's treating her at that point like like she's a feral kitten that he's been trying to socialize <laughs> you know like he's being so gentle and saying what if we i will come in and bring you table? food and lay it down yeah i will make eye contact <laughs> he asks her what are you are we waiting for something just give me the information and i will take it on board and we will go forward from there take you know? an abstinence pledge <laughs> <laughs> she's insulted by it she's like no <laughs> that cracked me up it made me laugh too can we also talk about the king solomon comment with our dad just as a quick side oh god yes i love that line so much who's king solomon it was your mother <laughs> wanted to raise you without religion she also thought we should be raised without a mother so and then levi <laughs> comes through with the religious reference mm. when he talks about Catherine Wren and like having her arm back he read um Jacob I had loved for his YA class earlier oh, yeah. in the year too. Good spotting. I forgot about that. I was just like, wow, okay, well his, we know his mom's quite religious, so they all have sense. they all have Old Testament names. He and all of his sisters. 
Oh yeah, of course. I did have some more identity stuff. And I think, Bethany, you definitely were right when you were talking about Levi's role as a caretaker being something that's really attractive to Kath. She felt inexplicably peaceful. The last thing Levi had said to her when they'd parted in the hospital lobby was, plug in your phone. So Kath did. I love that. I'm like, inexplicable. It's not inexplicable, Kath. <laughs> but it is if you have anxiety. Oh my gosh. That's true. That's true. And if you're used to being the one taking care of other people. Mm-hmm. If you're not used to people taking care of you. Yeah, if you can get past deal. resenting it. Because I always am like, why are you trying to do this? I'm a capable person. And then I'm like, oh no, wait, this is a love language. I should stop being such a brat about it. I mean, we saw that in the last chapter, right? Because <laughs> he was trying to carry a laundry I, I was going to say, they definitely had that argument. <laughs> Superior upper body strength. She's got to the point where she was, she's willing to believe now that Levi is doing it, not because he sees a lack in her, but because he cares about her and wants to help her. Some people like doing stuff for other people. I like that Kath has found someone who is able to watch and observe and give her what she needs without making it a big production like it's not onerous or hard for him he just adjusts and gets so much joy from it like that's actually the dream right somebody who like really wants to be with you and spends that time the thing that i love about levi is just that he nothing is a big deal it's never a big dramatic moment like he doesn't sit her down to have a Mm. conversation it's just sort of happens it's just like a natural flow like yeah when where it's yeah comfortable he assumes best friendship Mm. and that's how it works he just goes in and they're like best friends already i've said it before there is no other ladder but the friend ladder i I, I don't get people who are married or in relationships and they're not friends with their partner i'm like how do you not like they should be your best friend they should be your person that's fine i just was reading i just saw a tweet today that where somebody was like okay i know that i'm not i know that this is an unpopular opinion but i don't like it when people say that their partner or their spouse is their best friend that makes no sense to me and i was like (laughs) the other way doesn't make sense (laughs) so i i I went and read the thread a little bit because i was like what you know where are they coming from with this and it was they were basically saying like when when they hear someone say their partner is their best friend what they're imagining is that the person is saying they are my only friend and i don't need other friends Mm. because i have this romantic partner who is also my best friend and a bunch of the people in the replies were like yeah you know you got have friends you gotta have female friends and all this stuff and uh there were a couple of people in the replies saying like uh i don't think people mean it that way (laughs) and i just kind of hit the back button and you know walked away because i didn't want to get into the drama and i didn't know that person but like they should be on the tier yeah Yeah, exactly that's actually i I thought about typing best friend is a tier you can have lots of best friends and it's like soulmates you can have 50 soulmates you know that who are all different you can you can have Mm. relatives and friends and romantic partners yeah I have like at least 10 soulmates I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know? yes. As we change and grow too, there are different people for different phases. Like there might be someone that you're really close to when you're younger that you're like, oh wow, don't mm-hmm. know them now. Would consider them a close friend. But at that time, they were that person for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's how to be friends. I was going to say, I just want to throw this out there for identity, that I was reminded reading through this chapter that part of a big part of Kat's identity is that she is a smartass. And it's just delightful <laughs> to me because she is like this very kind of nerdy, bookish, you know, introverted person. And then she comes out, you know, Ren says, oh, your sweater smells like sweat. And Kath immediately shoots back with, it'll be the best smelling part of you. <laughs> She's got this, mm-hmm. this bite to her. She's mean. She can be mean. Yeah. And that's why she and Regan get along so well. That has a lot to do with her and Regan's attraction for each other is that they can sit in the dining yeah. hall and make fun of the girl with the wolf tail or whatever it was. Which they were doing. immediately made me think of Glow and the wolf girl from Glow, which was such an underrated show. So good. 
Yeah, she's witty. She's quick, she's right? Very like, she's very quick. off the mark. She's got quick comebacks. One of my favorite lines of anything is when Nick is comparing the writing, you know, their writing partnership to to John Lennon and Paul McCartney, yeah. I think. And and yeah. he Taylor says some, or he says something like, or maybe more like, yeah, this and Taylor Swift. And she goes, get over yourself. You're not as yeah. pretty as Taylor Swift. And every time I read that, I'm like, oh my God, that is like one of those lines that you say <laughs> it and you're like, mic drop, I'm getting up and I'm leaving the room because it was just so perfect. So good. I think that Nick was an important lesson because she was being vulnerable with him and then she was really badly hurt, but she was still able to like get up and shake herself off from it. And she's still going through that now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that Kath tells Ren, I miss you too. Not all of this drunk stuff, but you. I like that she draws a line between like the identity that Ren has assumed and the one that she knows, the person that she knows Ren to be. So maybe that's her version of saying it's unbecoming, right? Yeah. 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 Because she makes it a point to like also say, when you you know like i'll go with you and whatever you need and like just basically is offering that support and i think it was important of ren to be vulnerable and ask kath to like come up on the bed with her in the hospital and like climbs in with her and like reads over her shoulder while she's riding like they're doing the stuff that they did before and i think that's part of why ren is like back to kath is that she's being herself again yeah yeah because i think the problem was she couldn't recognize the Ren that Ren was trying to be she couldn't Mm. reconcile that person with the Ren that she knew right so she didn't know how she fit into that world and now you know Ren's not necessarily gonna stay at home and not go out and have fun with her friends but at least she's got this commonality and there's something that she can recognize as being wholly Ren yeah yeah, like she's back enough that Kath can breach her. I'm thinking, I know I know this isn't in these chapters, but I'm thinking now about, and maybe you guys talked about this when you, when you did read this part, but I'm thinking about how she was so surprised by Ren's betrayal. It wasn't really a betrayal, but, you know, she was so surprised by Ren not wanting to room with her and so surprised by the way she was acting when they got to school. But then she was also surprised when Abel broke up with her, you know, like she had mm. no clue. And Ren was kind of trying to tell her, like, you treat him like he's an end table you know like of course he you know and I'm just I'm I'm thinking like it's and fanfic has done this to me I read stories now and I think what would this story be like if it was told from this other person's perspective like how would the different mm. POV change the story because of course we all are seeing things through our mm. own lenses and our own mm-hmm. personalities and our own prejudices and whatever but I'm just thinking like I wonder how much of Ren changing or or it came as such a surprise to Kath, but I wonder if it really was a surprise, if it really should have been a surprise, you know? Like maybe if Kath had been mm. paying a little bit closer. She just lives in her head. She just lives in her head a lot. Yeah, and she takes her mm. family for granted because she's built them up to be this safe and secure and like static yeah. thing. And you know what she says What she says to Ren about, you don't have to, you don't, I don't have to forgive you. You're just in with me. That's the way it is. I think that's how she thinks they feel about her as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that she thinks because she feels this way, they must feel that way about her. But maybe they don't. They're different people. Like you and I, Jen, were just saying, you know, the, you see it from Kath's point of view and I see it from Ren's point of view. And I mm-hmm. love you. You're one of my favorite people and I get along. You're one of <laughs> you're one of my ten soulmates, basically. You know, oh, and yet and yet <laughs> and yet we see those two things from a completely different perspective. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So mm. sometimes even the people you think you know the best, who are you the closest to, they're living this whole other life and you have no idea unless you ask them. You mm. know? I would love to read this story from Ren's perspective like I would love to see what she was going through 
Jen and I have talked about this a lot. Like when you read something quickly, you don't get as much from it. So by slowing down, I've really focused on Ren this time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I like every time I see something or her doing something, I'm just like, whoa, that was me as that was the mm-hmm. same kind of nonsense I would do. And like it makes me cringe because like, oh my gosh, I've learned so much. And like I was so horrible <laughs> to some of the people that I really loved and cared about. But also like I want to know what she's doing and why she's doing it. Like I want her motivations too. Because Kath is such an open book to us because the book is from her perspective. But mm-hmm. I want to read what Ren writes when she writes Simon and Baz and I want to know what Ren thinks when she goes out with Courtney and I want to know what drew her to Handro and why she's converted you know like I want that Mm -hmm. information Mm -hmm. too what's different about this guy like and Kath even says he looks like all of Ren's other boyfriends but Ren looks at him differently Lady of the Lake which is a funny reference for her to pull up I just think it's funny because like we're about to start the Raven Boys that's our next book so it's all Welsh Mm. mythology and Welsh kings you started this podcast just to get me to read all of the books you've been telling me to read for years (laughs) that I have not read yet we made a deal that I would watch Farscape if you would read that series there are four seasons of Farscape and there I did I started the book and I don't even remember what distracted me now I don't even know and it's actually it is still on my list it's still in my mind that it's a book I need to read it's coming up you have time I have so many books I want to read (laughs) there's never enough time Jen your comment about wanting some sort of matrix style downloadability yeah I mean that would be my like if I could have a wish that's what I want I want to be able to plug something in my brain just download a book and then be like cool but I still want the joy of reading so that needs to come with the download that same satisfaction Mm. if I had a matrix ability it would be to learn and understand every language in the world yes Oh, that'd be amazing. Because then you could read books in the original languages. Then I could travel and talk to people. (laughs) Yeah. That's the only reason I'd want to be immortal, is so that I could read all the books and learn all the languages. That's it. You and Azira (laughs) fail, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That would be great. I would go to your bookshop. Great. Will you be my demon friend? (laughs) I'd be a pretty rubbish demon, but I think that Carly's also a pretty rubbish demon. (laughs) He's not great at his job. Yeah, whenever I curse people, I'm like, may you get a hangnail. (laughs) May the lights be red, all of them, for you this week. It's such a good curse, though, because that is just so annoying. It makes your life so annoying. Yeah, I don't want anything really bad to happen to people, but I want them to feel as equally inconvenienced as I do that they've cut me off in traffic, you know? May Mm -hmm. all of your french fries from McDonald's be cold and less. Um, Did you guys have any tangential marginalia you wanted to add? There's absolutely nothing, no reason for me to comment on this except that I liked Art's presentation outfit. The outfit he was in when he showed up at the hospital. (laughs) That tie, the orange with white starburst, for some reason, that just catches my attention every time. And I just think, oh, he dressed up and then he had to leave before he could even give his presentation. Will this man ever get to Tulsa? This is the question. How sweet that Kelly gave him the um, company credit card, though, just to get him home. That's so lovely. He's a good friend. Do you, you guys know that Rainbow has also worked in advertising, right? I think yeah. it's even in the like um, extra stuff when she was talking about having a coworker who never read anything. Yeah. She got really frustrated, and then he's like, oh, I just can't read stuff. Like, it just doesn't work for me. And that's where the, she got the idea for Levi. That's oh. right. It does say that in the extra. That's right. Oh, I know. I wanted to mention the... The conversation they have where where Kath is about to read the fanfic and she says, I feel weird reading this mushy gay stuff out loud. Isn't one of your roommates gay? And uh, just that whole, I read that, I read that and I was like, oh, is this just hitting me differently because it was written eight years ago and like, I just have learned and grown during that time or is it that it's supposed to be awkward? I think it is a little awkward and it's also that kind of like, I'm aware that this might not be okay because I might be, it felt like she was trying to figure out the line between a whether she was appropriating something or not. Yeah. Well, and I think it makes sense that an 18-year-old 
straight girl who had been writing gay fan fiction would be nervous about reading it in front of anybody. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. And this 18-year-old girl in particular. That makes sense to me. And I do like Levi's line, his response that, oh, Micah, now he watches straight stuff in front of me. He's obsessed with Titanic. (laughs) It's not offensive, but like I read it and I kind of went, ooh, I don't know if that would get written exactly that way today. (laughs) Mm. I do think you see this conversation play out a lot, though, like on Tumblr and stuff where people be like, ooh, is it okay that we're writing this stuff? Yeah, I like Mm. that it's acknowledged that she actually thinks about it. I loved Ren's line that she kidnapped Baz and raised him as her own. I love that so much because it really Mm -hmm. does feel like that's what she's done. What did I say at the beginning that she was Baz and Ren was Simon? Like that was how I felt Mm -hmm. about them. Not that they were romantic, but that their personalities like lined up that way. And I still really feel that way. Kath is Baz Mm -hmm. and Ren is Simon. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I have never thought about it like that. Ren is much more like the person who on the surface looks like they're going to be the successful one, but is actually a, a total disaster human. And Baz is sarcastic, cynical, and very cryptic, I think. Okay, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. This is just me spitballing. But I've been thinking about it the whole time. And like every time I read more of their fic, I'm like, oh my gosh, these parallels are so good. And I know that you had kind of linked the insidious humdrum thing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've got this whole thing about the humdrum sort of being a parallel for the damage done to Kath and Ren when Laura left. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like this emptiness, this hole inside them, Mm -hmm. you know, this kind of inner child damage. So every time that comes up in the fix, I'm always like, humdrum. here we go. That's my my favorite story about writers is that when Rainbow was writing this, I commented, I said something to her about how it was neat that there was the parallel with Simon and the Insidious Humdrum being twins of a kind and writing about, you know, that Kath is the main character and she's a twin. And Rainbow straight up went, oh, I never even thought of that. <laughs> like she did not realize that she was writing a narrative parallel. And I was like, seriously? And she was like, you know what? Sometimes you just write stuff and it turns out. <laughs> Which is why I love what we do with this podcast, because like 90% of the stuff we find is probably not even intentional, and that's great. <laughs> but we're making me. I feel like I have said this to you, Jen D, before, when I've read your stuff, and I've been like, oh, this is a great thing. And you're like, oh, I completely forgot that I did that. <laughs> Look at that. I'm cool. But my take is it was in it was in your brain somewhere. Yeah. You did it intentionally, even if it was, on, even if it was subconscious. All so. in the lake. Mm. Yes. Oh, I wanted to talk about Art's insistence that Ren go to AA um, because I think it's really important mm. that he does that. And I think the reason that it's important that he does that is because when I was speaking to my friend's husband, who is sober and is also a sponsor and runs an AA group locally, he said something really interesting that really stuck with me is that once you go to AA, drinking is ruined for you because you know you're an alcoholic. Like even if you relapse, you know that it's problem drinking. And so it's like you're you're never not an alcoholic from that point on once you actually acknowledge it. And I thought that was so clever of Art to kind of go, no, you're going to these meetings. And also the fact that he said, good, it's not contagious. You're going to these meetings. The knowing that you're an alcoholic is contagious. So I thought that was really interesting. And a parallel that Mm. maybe was unintentional, but I think I'm very worried about a lot of people now, especially in lockdown and especially in our countries, Jen, where alcohol abuse is a lot more common. Mm -hmm. It's way more common to drink and drink and drink here, I think, in the Antipodes. Yeah. The only place I have personally ever been pressured to have a drink when I said, no, thanks, I'll just have soda is in Australia. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the only place. Yeah. <laughs> I don't drink. I'm a teetotaler. I'm very boring. Most people don't offer me drinks because I haven't been out in years, but it definitely does become a thing where it's like, oh, I have to have a good reason. Oh, I'm driving or no, I just don't feel like it. Or like, oh, I get headaches. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't give a reason. I just said, no, I, I'm just going to have soda. It's fine. And the person who was pressuring me is, was like a grown adult older, like my dad's mm. age. And he was just like, are you sure? What's, you don't want that? And I asked me about four or five times. Are you sure you don't want it? And I was like, I have never felt this much peer pressure in my entire life. <laughs> this moment right now 
I know. And look, we all were taught as kids that like people are going to try and pressure us to do drugs. But like literally it's the adults as adults who are worse. As a teenager, it was like, hey, do you want some of this? And I go, no, thanks. And they go, all right. And yeah. Like, Kids are way more chill. More for me. All right. That's because people feel like it's a judgment mm. when you don't drink. Uh, yeah, right? like, for sure. So it's like, oh, you're judging my choices by choosing not to drink. It's more because we're forcing someone to reflect on yeah. their own choices. I mean, I'm right here in the pub with you, dude. I'm not yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not judging you. <laughs> Enjoy your beer. I don't care. I'm glad that Art took the time to like make that a condition of Ren going back to school because he is absolutely right. And I think it would be helpful for them all to actually go to therapy. You're going to like the next episode of Ted Lasso. So, and that's all I'm going to say. Yay. Dr. Sharon, Dr. Sharon. <laughs> we, we just watched it right before I started talking to you guys. I'm so going to make my mind. sit down and watch it with me. Has he not seen, has he watched Ted Lasso? Yes. He, it's our thing that we're doing oh, okay. during lockdown. Okay. We're okay. watching Ted Lasso together nice. and like, we don't do anything else. We just watch it and it's Cute. great. And it's also not safe for kids. So it definitely happens without them in the room, which is also a hard thing to manage sometimes but yeah Annalie is watching it with us she likes it some of the stuff that's a little more adult she's like okay tell me when it's over (laughs) (laughs) some of the stuff with Roy and Keely oh she's so she's so pure she's like my like my daughter still thinks that stupid is a bad word and will yell at me if I say it she just doesn't know what the bad words are it's really funny she's so innocent and lovely and like I don't have the heart to tell her how has she grown up in Australia and doesn't know the words? That's what I want. I don't like. I don't swear. I save up all my swears for adults. I don't swear around my kids ever. Yeah, but I mean, my children, I think, heard more swearing when they were in Australia than any other time in their lives. And their dad's in the Navy. <laughs> I can't imagine Troy swearing oh, though. So He's also bad. very pure. Oh God, no. He's. He... I'm sure he has. And I know he has an absolutely filthy I mean, he's humor. a sailor. <laughs> so he can swear like one. But he does he he does save it. He doesn't use it. He doesn't use it all the time. He... Yeah, no, I, don't, I can't remember him. I don't have any memories of him swearing. Well, probably all the time you were with him, you were around children. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. He keeps it rated PG around kids. This is me as well. Like, I'm that person. I'm always driving the speed limit, not swearing around small children. Yeah, my I have one of my sisters is really against swearing and like it used to really bug me, but now I'm like, oh, if she doesn't like to hear it, then I just won't say it. Like, yeah, I don't know why I was so resistant to that idea for so long. <laughs> Sorry, Whitney. I've learned. We've been reading um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I've been reading it to the kids, <laughs> and because uh, I knew they would like it, and like Annalie didn't want to read it, and Eliora's a little, probably a little bit on the young side, but I was like, if I read it out loud, they will like it. She's super precocious though. She'll be fine. Eliora. Oh yeah, she was. Well, we finished it actually. We finished the book, but you know, there's there's a like very light and. When Whenever I read them, the girls are always like, oh, it sounds so weird to hear you say those things. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I never swear. (laughs) Never. Whereas one of my first memories of Eliora was her saying, damn it. And you saying, please don't say damn it. She was like four years old. (laughs) And you were just like so tired. You were like, just please don't say that. (laughs) She might have been going through a phase then. I don't remember. Because that's funny because now she's like, you really shouldn't cuss, mom. She's just like, she's like your kid. She's like, you really shouldn't say these things. Stop playing. (laughs) It's not becoming. It's <laughs> exactly. Not That's Eliora. It's not becoming. Mom. It's unbecoming. Um, did we want to do in-depth marginalia? Yes, we probably should. All right, Jen, do you want to go first, my love? Sure thing. So my in-depth marginalia is on page 409. And it's when Kath and Ren are sort of having their moment and talking about Laura leaving and 
Kath doesn't understand. And then Ren's, she remarks that Ren was okay with that amount of involvement. She seemed to think that it was better than nothing and safer than everything. I love this line because I think I just really relate to it. I feel like when I was in my early 20s, that is how I lived most of my life. I sort of kept people a little bit at an arm's distance because I was afraid to get hurt. So, you know, it's better than nothing, but it's safer than giving people everything. And especially when it came to like relationships, like Jen, I've spoken to you before about my unhealthy tendency in my early 20s to always fall for people who were unavailable, whether they were in relationships or just emotionally unavailable. And I feel like that is the classic example of that. Like, you know, you're engaging with someone, but it's not a real risk because there's yeah. never, nothing's ever going to happen. So you're not actually putting anything on the line. And that's just what that line reminded me of. And I think what I want to use going forward is just to make sure that if you're doing something, you're doing it wholeheartedly and not pulling yourself back. Like, make sure you're mm. in it for the right reasons and you're doing the whole thing. I love that. Thank you. How about you? I picked the exact same section and my quote was, Kath didn't get it. Her brain just didn't work that way. Her heart didn't. And I think part of it is in response to Kath's earlier indignation that being a parent is all heavy stuff. Because it is and it isn't. Like, I feel as if the best parts of parenting are like solving the problem and getting the joy. Um, mm. And the heavy stuff is heavy. It is. But it's also like a burden that I'm so glad and willing to bear. And I think Kath is like that too. Like she's very limited in who she will accept into that heavy stuff. But she does want it and she wants to have that family connection. So for her, it's like you're family or you're not. And I think mm. about that a lot in terms of myself because I tend to categorize people like are they on the tier? Yes, then they are deserving of my love, my attention, my compassion, my forgiveness. If they're not on the tier, then they get like a less amount of that. And it just really made me think about the way that my heart works and the way that my head works and how I can still love people that I've essentially let go of but I'm not willing to put any more time into that relationship and it doesn't mean that I'm holding a grudge or that I haven't forgiven the circumstances because I often do forgive and then let go but also it does take me a lot longer than I would like it to but maybe that's okay so I think for me going forward I'm just going to spend a bit of time interrogating more about why I get hurt and why I'm so deeply hurt when I'm hurt and like maybe find a better way to let go mm. how about you Bethany did you have something I did, and it's completely different than what you guys picked. Awesome. I really love a lot of Levi's lines. I mean, he's he's just great. He, I really like, as a character, I love his way of looking at things and thinking about things and saying things. Mm-hmm. And the line in his, in his bunch of texts when he was texting Kath, when he was driving back, the line, the biological diversity would make you weep, Kath or Avery. He had seen Kath at the hospital, and he was driving back for his sister's birthday party. And he was saying, you know, he was glad he had seen her, and it was a really beautiful day. And, hey, did you know that Arnold, which is the town where Levi's from, did you know that Arnold has Sandhills and Los Canyons? And that he says, the biological diversity would make you weep, Kath or Avery. And first of all, I, I really love that he always uses Kath, Cather, not Kath, even though it kind of bugs Kath at first. She kind mm. of dings him for it a couple of times. She's like, Kath. She, he, he calls her Cather, and she corrects him. I think eventually it kind kind of just becomes his name for her like it's okay if Levi calls her that because it's because it's Levi Mm. the only way I can think of that it relates to the theme of identity in particular is that Kath and Ren have that thing about how you can't be a proper nerd if you don't love stories or if you don't read and I think Kath first says if you don't read you can't Mm -hmm. but then she kind of realizes well maybe you can be a nerd if you just love stories because Levi is so clearly a nerd he loves things so much even like Mm -hmm. the the alpaca mittens like he gets all excited explaining about where the alpaca Mm -hmm. comes from and imagine a llama even cuter and cuter than that and you know just his way of looking at the world and sharing the world with other people is just so unique and I just really love that about about him and I think 
going forward, it would remind me to maybe just be unapologetically enthusiastic about things and not care what other people think. Aren't you already? You're amazing at that. <laughs> <laughs> but I still need to be reminded sometimes that it's okay if other, like right now it feels like there's a bit of a backlash against Ted Lasso because it got popular and everybody was talking about how much they loved it. So there have been a few opinion pieces recently where people have, you know, I actually haven't read any of those. I've just seen people talking about them uh, mm. online. And uh, sometimes it's easy when people start to hate on something because it's popular. It's easy to feel like, oh, well, maybe I maybe I don't really like Taylor Swift that much or whatever. You know, maybe I don't really like Twilight yeah. that much. But it's okay to just love something because you love it and to be unapologetic yeah. about it. We should do our character spotlight. Uh, look, I'm going to spotlight Kath because I think that this week she had a lot going on. Her sister was in hospital. She had to deal with her crappy absentee mom showing up and then leaving again, which is exactly what Kath predicted she would do. But she got over that. She and Ren are back. She's let go of so much. And she was like finally open with Levi. And she just like kind of pushed herself through a block, which as a person with anxiety is super hard to do. So like I applaud that. I just think she's like been through it and I'm so proud of her for being brave. It's so hard to be brave. All right. How about you guys? I can go. I would like to talk about Ren. I think she is going through it. She is clearly dealing with some stuff. She is having some, maybe some roommate problems <laughs> with, with Courtney, it sounds like. Mm. Yet she still comes out the other side saying happily ever after or even just together ever after is not cheesy. It's the noblest, like the most courageous thing two people can shoot for. And I just, I love that sentiment. It's probably my favorite line from the whole book. It's basically my mantra mm. for stories. I'm a romance reader. I the, My favorite thing about the fact that when you read a romance, you know you're going to get a happy ending. You don't have to stress about what's going to happen. Mm. Even though you know they're going to get together, I just really like that somebody who is going through what Ren is going through can still look at the world and say, no, it's okay. You, you should still, it's still noble to strive for that. It's, it's good to strive for your happily ever after. I love yeah. that. I think it means more coming from Ren than it would from probably almost any other character. If Levi said it, you'd be like, yeah, whatever, that's Levi. But it's Ren saying it, so you sit up mm. and pay attention. Yeah, I think that's fair because she can be quite, you know, acerbic in a way. So for her to say this, it really mm -hmm. means something. It really carries weight. I love that. Um, I was going to spotlight Art because I, I've often said to my friends who are parents, like, I don't know how you do it. Like, I'm not a parent. I have no interest in being a parent. And I just think parents don't get enough credit. It's really hard. It's really hard. You guys do incredible work. And, you know, you are responsible for someone, not just for when they're little, but basically the rest of their lives. Like, I'm still harassing my parents every day and I'm 33. So, you know, it's such a big thing. And, like, Art has been through this very scary situation. He's got a terrifying phone call. And he, I think you're right, Bethany. He's been himself up about all the ways he failed as a parent and where he could have done better and all the missed opportunities and gosh you know he did the best he could and under very stressful circumstances and you know he did the best he could with the information that he had at the time and I think we should all think about that when we think about our parents yeah so yeah, yeah. that's who I wanted to spotlight everybody's always trying their best virtually no parents want to mess up their kids you know that's true. That has actually helped me a lot. They're doing the best they can with the tools they have, and it might not be what you would want it to be, but it doesn't mean they weren't trying their hardest. Mm. And if any parents are listening to this, you know, I just want to say be gentle. It's been a hell of a couple of years, and it's been hard, and you've done amazing. So if your kids are happy, good job. If your kids They're are alive, alive and fed. fed. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Brain thing. <laughs> it's been a it's been a trying pandemic, I'll say that. 
Well, this has been lovely. And next week we'll be reading chapters 33 to 36 through the theme of creation, which I think will be very interesting. Oh, yes. But so great to have you on, Bethany. Thank you. It was really nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on and being our Nebraska expert and our rainbow insight expert and our fangirl expert. I know that this book is very close to your heart. And it's been so good to see you and talk to you. I'm getting texts from Simon about whether or not I'm actually alive in here, so we should probably wrap up. Um, Okay. But yeah, again, thanks, Bethany. Thanks for coming on. And thanks, Jen. It's great, as always, to catch up and chat. And I think this was really fun. It was really nice to have a third person to, like... Yeah, get some new perspectives. It's great. Well, if you guys ever want to have me back, just let me know. We will. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for potting with me. Sure. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.